Jesus called him another comforter, the helper, the promise of the Father, and the spirit of truth. And he promised that you and I would receive power once we were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and that we would become then effective witnesses for him because of that indwelling presence of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And you know, in the book of Acts, we see the apostles and the early Christians being clearly guided by the Holy Spirit. He managed to communicate his directions, his will, to them both as a group and as individuals. And as far as I can tell, they did not think it was strange or weird to be hearing from him. So, how about you? What's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Now, one pastor I knew used to say that modern Christians have one of two relationships with the Holy Spirit. They're either dead or they're wild. Now, while that's funny, it is also sad. In fact, it's really tragic because Jesus intended that the Holy Spirit would live within us, illuminating our mind, developing our spirit, and empowering us to be and to do all that God intended. You know, the Holy Spirit is our lifeline to God our Father and to Jesus our Savior. His ministry to us is vital to our spiritual growth and progress and to our ability to live that abundant life that Jesus talked about. I'm Kelly J. Grace, and you're listening to Divine Connections, a podcast about connecting the truth you believe to the life you really live. And my friend, today, if you want to grow as a believer— and you want to get clarity on how you can serve God and deepen your connection with Him, then this episode is for you. Because today I'm sharing episode 12, Connect to Your Divine Source of Spiritual Power. Now, maybe you remember, I am. we're coming up to the very last of the first 13 lessons I've been sharing with you that I learned in over 50 years of walking with Jesus. And this lesson I'm sharing with you today is another crucial, crucial thing that God taught me. Now, I'd been a Christian for about 13 years when, you know, I'd been taught that whole time um, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not something for present-day believers. And I look back now on the experience that I happened to have after those first 13 years, that pivotal time when I was exposed to really comprehensive, clear teaching about who the Holy Spirit is and about the baptism of the Spirit. And that day, I I would say, looking back across my life, that day was one of the most dynamic turning points that I have ever experienced in the entirety of my Christian life. So I would say, if you're a believer, but you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, then 
I just first want to recommend a very small book to you because, again, this is a podcast. I, I'm not going to go into a whole comprehensive teaching. It's all in this wonderful little book by A.W. Tozer, and that book is called How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. You can get it on Amazon, and you can read it through in about an hour. I mean, this is a short little book, but it has a very concise outline there of the teaching Jesus in particular gave to us about the Holy Spirit, this spirit that he kept speaking to the disciples about and talking about this promise of the Father, this spirit of truth, this helper, this comforter, that he was going to pray to the Father to send once he had ascended into heaven. Now, I know full well that many, many denominations teach that there is no other experience outside of salvation, that when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and that's it. End of story. That's all we're going to get. But, you know, I, I did once believe that. As I said, I'd been taught it, and so I accepted that at face value. But my own experience and the testimony of my life since the day that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, would argue that there is most definitely a subsequent experience possible, and in fact, highly beneficial, I would say essential, for abundant Christian living. So let me ask you, are you happy with the status quo of your spiritual life, or are you hungry for a more vibrant faith? for a more dynamic life characterized by an ever-growing maturity and the sense that you're fully equipped for all God has called you to be and to do. You know, the normal Christian life should be one of dynamic power. If you read through the book of Acts, I mean, those people, the Bible says, turned the world upside down, and they did not do it in their own strength or wisdom. They were filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit of promise, and he delivered everything and more that Jesus had spoken of. They had victory over sin. They had power in the message that they carried, and they, they had a calling card of love, didn't they? Everywhere they went, they were known by their love. So once again, I'm aware that you're probably just a mom at home trying to homeschool your kids and keep everybody's life running smoothly. You know, you're not thinking of um, taking on some official role in the church. You're not thinking of going to the mission field. But I want to tell you, you need this every bit as much as Peter and John did when they walked up the steps of the temple and spoke to that lame man before healing him. And every bit as much as Paul and Silas did that night when they were singing in that Philippian jail and then led that jailer to faith in Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the truth is, if you want to be effective at ministering to your children or to your unsaved husband or to your neighbor, you know, there's a world of need and opportunity around you. And I'm here to tell you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to equip you for the part God wants you to play in meeting those needs. 
Because as I said, this is not reserved for those who are going into the ministry as a profession. This is for all of us, every single child of God. Tozer puts it like this. He says, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. Now, I know I cannot convince you to want this, but I would ask you to search your heart and to honestly ask God if this is something that's been missing in your life if this is the next step for you to take. So if so, let me just explain, and this is super simple. You received the baptism of the Holy Spirit very much as you received Christ as your Savior. You ask in faith, and you believe that you have received it. You might pray a short prayer, something like this. Father, I ask that you baptize me with your Holy Spirit as Jesus promised. Fill my heart, my mind, and my spirit to overflowing, and Father, empower me to live fully for you. Use me to accomplish any of your plans and purposes that you've determined I should be a part of. Help me to be a witness for Jesus in my home and my community, and by my conduct, my character, and my message. Father, I receive this by faith. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me share a few truths to guide you in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. These apply across the board to every single believer. And the very first of these is that you and I need to learn to cultivate a dependence upon him. And here's what I mean by that. When you read or you study your Bible or when you pray, I want you to recognize that it is the Holy Spirit who is present with you to help you. So listen again to John 14, 26, the words of Jesus. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So. Every time you read your Bible, remind yourself that it is your Father speaking to you and that He is there with you in the indwelling Holy Spirit to guide you into understanding of what you read. You know, my own experience is that a word or a phrase will stand out to me. It's almost, I mean, I laugh about this, but it's almost like it's been highlighted with a neon yellow highlighter. It will just resonate with me. Um, You know, I maybe only read a few verses one morning or at some point in the day, but something stands out. It starts resonating with me and it repeats over and over in my mind. And that's when I know that the Holy Spirit is underscoring, underlining that part of scripture for me at that time. That's the part uh, that I'll choose then to meditate on throughout the day. Just one small morsel of divine truth. But sometimes I call it the cheesecake verses. You know, they're super rich and dense and yummy. They they feed us and they bring a satisfaction to us. Uh, you can tell I love cheesecake, right? So anyway, um, but the, a small little morsel of divine truth that's rich in nutrients for your spirit. 
And I want to just say a word about meditation. Meditation is easier and simpler than you might think. Um, it helps us just to push out the wrong thoughts from our cultural surroundings and embrace God's word. And here are just a few verses from Psalm 1 that talk about meditation. It says, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, and he doesn't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. Instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. So again, as I said, it's the pushing out of the counsel of the wicked and what sinners and scoffers would have to say. And instead, it's embracing God's word and his promises and thinking about them, making room for them in your thoughts. Now, just a few words or a single verse can feed your spirit and set you on the right path. It doesn't have to be chapters, although I love you know, the whole idea of reading through the Bible in a year. But I would say as a believer, especially a modern day believer, the New Testament, the Gospels in the New Testament are crucial for you to get established in how to walk as a Christian. But to just take a portion of the word and instead of speed reading through a bunch of chapters, slow down and let the Holy Spirit help you make a real connection with that word. Now another passage, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 13. It says, But as it is written, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts? except the spirit of that person which is inside him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to you and I for us to understand, as this passage said, the things freely given to us by God. And you know, I think a lot of believers have actually given up on taking in God's Word because they have not learned how to lean on the Holy Spirit to help them understand it. They've never asked for that baptism of the Spirit. They aren't being filled repeatedly with Him. And so they're on their own and find the word confusing. If that's, excuse me, if that's you, oh, let's start changing that right now. I want you to go ahead and ask to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and watch as your experience of interacting with the Word of God grows deeper and richer. Okay, prayer is the other practice that is often, well, it's often discouraging to believers, and because of that, they don't do it very often. You know, we all naturally pray in the moments of great fear or distress, 
But the daily practice of just talking with our God throughout the day, i that's not something that most Christians cultivate. We kind of relegate prayer to mealtimes and bedtimes. But, you know, we need to start thinking of prayer just as a conversation instead of some kind of religious practice or duty. So have a conversation with God about the truth that you read that morning. Ask some questions of the of the scriptures. I love that. I once heard Jill Briscoe years ago saying, and now we ask some questions of the scripture. In other words, as we read the word, we begin to to let our minds circle around the truth and try to make some sense of it. And in this, we are helped by the Holy Spirit. So I remember doing that one day, um, you know, asking God about a passage of scripture I read because, frankly, it was a little bit confusing to me. It was a little bit weird. And um, so let me share with you, this is a passage in the book of James, James 5, 17 and 18, and it's about the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And here's what it says. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, meaning he was just a human being, just like you and I. But he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, I've been to Israel several times, (laughs) and I don't know why anyone would pray for there to be no rain. Israel is a desert. Where on earth did Elijah get the idea to pray for no rain? Now, that's the, the, the thought, the question that came to my mind that day when I read that passage in James. Um, I kept thinking, what was behind this? Why would that happen? Well, I went to the Old Testament and started reading the story again because I thought, there, you know, I was just curious enough to go do a little investigation. And so I read that story in 1 Kings 17 through 18 to see what more I could learn about Elijah's very weird prayer request. And it turns out that that prayer request and God's answer to it of three and a half years of drought, those are what set the stage for Elijah's contest with those false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And you can read the story for yourself in 1 Kings 17 and 18. But in reading the background story and meditating on Elijah's prayer, that kind of opened my mind to the whole idea of praying a prayer that was actually prompted by the Holy Spirit, not a prayer that I came up with on my own. I mean, our minds are filled all the time, aren't they, of the things we want God to do. And many of them are, I'm sure, his will. They are good things. We want our kids to come to salvation in Christ or an unsaved husband or your parents or your dear friend that you went to college with and then you got saved and they didn't believe. And now there's this, you know, there's this schism, this um, gulf between the two of you because you're now in the kingdom of light and they're still in the kingdom of darkness. So you're praying for them. Or maybe someone in your family is ill now. You're praying for them. Whatever it might be, you and I, we have a lot of prayer requests that come to our mind. But I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about a prayer that's in line 
with something God wants to do in the lives of others. And Elijah's request was really for God to do something that would get the attention of the people of Israel and even of the wicked king Ahab. You probably remember his wife Jezebel. She's the one who introduced again and brought all of these false prophets of Baal into the land of Israel, and they were corrupting the people. So God wanted to call his people back to him in faith, and he wanted to cleanse the land of these false prophets. And one of the things that he used to do that was a long drought. Now, I don't have any proof besides Elijah's ministry um, that Elijah's prayer was directed by God, okay? But I am telling you, as I prayed about this and meditated on it, this whole idea of opening my mind and offering up my mind. You've heard me before mention Romans 12, 1 and 2, the idea that you and I yield ourselves to God as living sacrifices and our members as instruments of righteousness. And so I thought, Lord, I want you, again, excuse me, I've been fighting this cold thing for forever, but I, I want you, Lord, to take my mind and move it in the direction of whatever it is you're wanting to do in someone's life. And let me now support that goal that you have, that purpose that you have. Let me support it in prayer. So here's how that might look for you. What spiritual need is there in the life of someone that you know and love? Are you willing to partner with the Holy Spirit in a prayer meeting that's just the two of you to lift up that need, that deep need that that person has? You know, I think of this especially with our older children or our spouses. Um, <clears throat> these are not the prayers, though, that grow from our desires for them, the things we would like to see changed in their lives that would just make us happy or make our life easier. No, no, no. These are things that as we wait on the Lord, the Holy Spirit begins to lay them on our heart. These are prayers that really embody God's desires for them, and they come to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you and I have an opportunity to intercede according to the will of God for things in the lives of others. This, to me, is truly intercessory prayer. It's directed by the Holy Spirit, and yet it's supported by us. This is letting God write the prayer list, not you and I. This is a fellowship with God through the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and it enables us to pray under the inspiration and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And here are the weaknesses spelled out. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So we don't know what to pray for. You and I do not know what request to make. And that's because you and I cannot look into the heart of other people. But God does look on the heart. He knows the deep need that they have. You and I don't. 
again, excuse me, he sees into that heart. And it says, the Spirit himself then intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Why? Because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. We don't know the request, and we don't know how to ask it. (laughs) And yet, the Holy Spirit, it says, He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So if you and I want to pray a prayer that's according to the will of God, the truth is we may not know what God's will is for someone. We think we do. We know what our will for them is, but we may not be sure what God's will is. And yet, in this, the Holy Spirit helps us. He helps in our weakness. So again, it's this mutual prayer cycle going on where he is showing us the request. And that's why I go back to that episode with Elijah. Now, I'm not trying to make a big doctrine about this. This is just something that I observed in what had happened with Elijah. And my curiosity got me to look at it a little deeper. And I began to say to the Lord, look, I'm willing to take on this ministry in the lives of the people I love. Instead of me coming before you in prayer and saying, they need this and this and this and this, let me learn to just get quiet and to wait for the Spirit to actually burden my heart with the request I should be asking for. You know, we are so prone to ask for what we think is best for others. (laughs) And then just You know, we want God to put his stamp of approval and his divine power behind the thing we've already decided is right for someone else. Can you just, can you just see the kind of arrogance that's in that? The lack of humility of you and I deciding what's best for someone? But you know, Elijah's prayer was not what most people would have thought was best for the people in Israel. I mean, a drought It kills off livestock. It um, destroys crops. There's hunger. There's famine. Elijah's request, though, was inspired by what God wanted to accomplish. Now, in my Bible, James 5 has a little title above the section of verses 13 to 20. And this is James chapter 5. And the title of that little section of Scripture, James 5, 13 to 20, is called the Prayer of Faith. And here's what it says. Is anyone among you sick? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death 
and cover a multitude of sins. Now, years ago, I heard Jill Briscoe teach uh, a series on prayer. And when she came to verse 16, the portion that promises us that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous and I'm going to say woman because her audience that day was women, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous woman avails much. She said that every time she heard women discussing this verse, they really just dismissed it because none of them felt that they were righteous. And she said, here is where knowing a lot of the Bible can help you gain understanding. So here are two verses about righteousness. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. And I'm going to read it in the old King James Version. It says, For he, God, hath made him Christ to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen again. For he, God, has made him Christ to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Then the second, Romans 5, 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, and it's talking about Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Both of these verses show us that there was a divine exchange that happened at the moment we came to faith in Christ. The exchange was that he took our sins upon himself. Now, that happened on the cross, Calvary's cross, all those over 2,000 years ago now, a day in real time on the real calendar that humans operate with. Jesus, outside the city of Jerusalem, on a hill called Golgotha, hung on a cross and offered himself for our sins, and three days later rose again from the dead to secure our justification, our forgiveness, redemption, and justification. But what what these verses are saying is that that exchange is that he took our sins and then gave us his righteousness. Now, are you a believer? Then you my friend, are righteous. You've been the beneficiary of that divine exchange of Jesus taking upon himself your sins, our sins, they were laid on him. The iniquity of us all he bore on the cross. He was punished for us and he gave to us, he imparted to us his righteousness. Is that enough righteousness for you? the righteousness of Jesus Christ, is that sufficient? As people say nowadays, is that going to work for you? (laughs) Yes, it is. And if that doesn't convince you, I love what Jill said. She said, when I hear women saying that, that they can't wrap their minds around the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous woman and see themselves as that woman, she said, I just let them substitute the effective, fervent prayer of a forgiven woman. If it helps you to recognize and to lean on the fact that you're forgiven, that you that part of the equation of Christ forgiving you, then okay. But what that scripture in James is saying is that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much with God. 
So I talked earlier about the part I think that makes it effective, and that is that you and I let God write the prayer request. We aren't trying to figure this out for ourselves. We're walking. Remember, I said the first thing that we're going to talk about is we're going to cultivate dependence on the Holy Spirit. And the way they're going to, we're going to do that is we're going to depend on him to highlight God's word and open our minds to understand it. And we're going to depend on him to help us with this critical weakness that we have in prayer in that we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. We don't know the request, and we don't know how to actually make it. But the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm going to help you do that. That is one of the roles of my ministry to you. Let's embrace that. Okay, the second thing is you and I just need to learn to observe the do's and the don'ts that are given to us concerning the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So the do is this. First, as we read in the book of Acts, that we need to seek and ask for in faith and receive by faith the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the second in Ephesians, uh, and you'll read about that in the first few chapters of Acts. You'll see it over and over again. That's what happens in the at the day of Pentecost to those believers. Then the second is in Ephesians 5.18. It just has this simple exhortation, be being filled with the Spirit. And it, you know, without a big Greek lesson there, the idea is this is a continual action. We are being filled continually with the Holy Spirit. Then there are two don'ts. And the first is 1 Thessalonians 5.19, and it says, do not quench the Spirit of God. That means no resisting his promptings, no engaging in little mini arguments with him about what he's telling you to do. Um, you know, you can read about Philip in the book of Acts in chapter 8. What an exciting life this man called Philip had. Um, he early on was chosen as one of those men who was going to distribute the food and make sure the widows were all taken care of. But then we see Philip being used by God, called to go here, go there. It says the Spirit just picked him up and took him someplace or said to him, go up and you know speak to the man in the chariot, whatever. Philip just expected, I think, to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And I think you and I need to start expecting to be guided by him. But the number one way you're going to short circuit that is if you then start quenching the Spirit. When he prompts you, speak to that person in the grocery store. You're like, uh, no, I'm not doing that. That's weird. I'm not, uh, not going to talk to somebody I don't even know, or I'm not going to say that thing, you know? And yet you can feel your heart pounding. You know the truth has come into your mind. And yet in that moment, you're going to quench the spirit. That's actually like just taking, and here's the picture I always have in my mind that I've got. When I start to do that, it's like I've filled up this big bucket of ice water and I'm going to throw it all over the fire that the Holy Spirit is trying to light under me to do something. So again, the do be being filled with the Spirit. The first don't is don't quench the Holy Spirit. And the second is don't grieve him. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, how do we do that? We grieve the Spirit when we choose sin over fellowship, when we say no to godliness and yes to a temptation. So, 
Once again, the secret to being successful as a Christian is in learning to possess your possessions. Ephesians 1.3 says that you and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been. It's past tense. We've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And foremost among those spiritual blessings is the indwelling Holy Spirit and the eternal Word of God. These two you have to lead and guide you, to feed and fortify your spirit. But it is the Holy Spirit who imparts spiritual power, divine impetus and motivation. My plea to you today is to let him in and to let him lead. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Spirit and for the gifts of the Spirit, those things that he produces um, by bringing to each one of us a gift that allows us to be effective at serving you. We also thank you for the fruit of the Spirit, for the fruit of his work within us, and that fruit is love, joy, and peace. It's patience, kindness, and goodness. It's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, help us to give him room in our hearts and to give him the final say in our lives, moment by moment. Father, teach us how to hear that still, small voice as he leads, and then to not quench him or to not grieve him but instead to be filled with him continually. We know that you gave him to comfort, to help, and to guide us. So let us know without a doubt that he is doing all of it for your glory in and through our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd love to connect with you on Instagram, where I'm at Kelly J. Grace. And if you're one of the people who tried to download that spiritual self-care guide or the 25 powerful tips for a better marriage now, oh my goodness, I want to apologize to you. Um, I didn't realize until someone emailed me and said, you know, I got the email, but the link in it, the little download button does nothing. So I got that broken link fixed. And so if you go again to the website, kellyjgrace.com, and enter your email once again for either or both of those free resources, I am so happy to say the buttons are working. So I will see you next time for the last lesson of these, this first debut season of 13 Life-Changing Lessons. Next time, next time, friends, we are talking about hope. <music>